Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash from Kaleidoscope and iHeart Podcasts, this is Silenced. I'm Oz Veloshin. It's been 20 years since the story of Veo ended. A story that stood at a crossroads in Haitian history where things could have been so different. A story that beams ear-splitting echoes into the Haiti and Miami of today. In this bonus episode, we close the gap between the 1990s and now with a timely interview with the lauded Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald, Jacqueline Charles. She wrote the definitive piece on the 2021 assassination of Haitian president Jovenel Moise. In the power vacuum since the assassination, Haiti has experienced escalating gang violence. Kidnappings for ransom are on the rise, and refugees are fleeing the country in large numbers. It's a level of instability that harkens back to the 1990s. We discuss Jacqueline's reporting on the presidential assassination and all that's followed. And we talked about keeping alive the dream of a democratic Haiti. Here's our conversation. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. 
That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. What if we told you about a major breakthrough on awesome savings on all-inclusive beach vacays? OMG, this could break the case. Case? I'm talking about CheapCaribbean.com. It's full of hot savings. At CheapCaribbean.com, score an extra $175 off site-wide on vacations of four nights or more now through June 3rd. Swim up bar in Punta Cana or dip your toes in the sand on the shores of Cancun. We gotta take this show on the road. Start at CheapCaribbean.com. Can you tell us a little bit about your path to your current job, really starting as how you became a journalist and, and how you came to have Haiti as your speciality? I actually got my start as a high school intern, a 14-year-old high school intern at the Miami Herald. This was a period where, you know, Haiti was making a lot of news <laughs> as usual. Some of my colleagues in the newsroom, one in particular, Peter Bosch, who was a photographer who would go down to Haiti a lot and he had friends in Haiti often when he's calling them to try to check on on them and then he would get the maid. And so he didn't speak Creole. So he would actually ask me if I could um, translate for him. So that's really how I guess you can say I sort of got started just kind of translating, you know, helping someone out. And after I decided that I was going to be a journalist because I really wanted to be a doctor, um, I, I started to think about, you know, what I wanted to focus on, what did I want my specialty to be. And being of Haitian descent, being from the Caribbean, being raised by a Haitian mother and a Cuban-American stepfather, I really saw myself as being in a unique position to really educate people about this region and about these these countries. It's not just about sun and surf. Um, it's not just about, you know, crises and dictatorships and, and, and communism, but that they're so layered and so textured. That period in the in the early 90s, the kind of Aristide coup period, was also a period of, of enormous migration by boat to South Florida. And when we met last year in Miami, you used the phrase back to the future to compare the situation, at least as of a year ago, to the situation in the early 90s. I'm wondering about, about that phrase, back to the future, and, and what it meant to you. When we met, you know, that was a period where we were seeing the largest Haitian boat migration crisis in almost 20 years. We're still seeing reports of overloaded boats, you know, either off the coast of Cuba or off the coast of the Bahamas. We've seen thousands of Haitians. The U.S. Coast Guard is out in patrol, so they've managed to stop some of these boats, you know, before they even get through the Florida Straits. What you see consistently is that when Haiti is in crisis, boat migration goes up, maritime migration goes up. So when I say back to the future is that, once again, we're looking at a country that is in political turmoil, economic, social turmoil. This is unprecedented in terms of the gang violence and the kidnappings. You have an entire capital of Port-au-Prince almost under gang rule, and you, you see people reacting with their feet. So you also have, parallel to that, 
journalists who are being forced to, to flee Haiti because their lives are in danger. You have a number of journalists who have been forced out of Haiti. They've had to seek refuge either in the Dominican Republic or here in the United States because they have been the targets of attempted assassinations, kidnappings, or kidnapped. When you start to lose your best journalists or just journalists in general who are doing good work, not merchandising, but actually informing people, where does that leave a population? And that is the concern that when I talk about Back to the Future is that you have this unsolved murder in Miami of these of, of these journalists in a chaotic period of, of, of Haiti. And today, while we have this trail, you know, Jean-Dominique, Brignon Lindor, you know, and others in Haiti whose murders remain unsolved, my fear is that we are going to be adding to that list. This is the month of the anniversary of the assassination of Jean-Dominique. Um, we spoke to Michel Montas at length. We'll get to the, the story you're reporting on Moise. But those two cases and these radio broadcasters in Little Haiti in the early 90s, the abiding theme is, is impunity and, and killers not being brought to justice. And I wonder both why that is and what the consequences of that is. Well, I think you're seeing the consequences of the impunity in Haiti. You're seeing it today in the current reality of what's happening in this country. It's on a very dangerous downward spiral, escalating gang violence, you know, and kidnappings. The United Nations said last year that on average, you know, one person was kidnapped every six hours. You mentioned um, Jean-Dominique, and 23 years later, his killers have not been brought to justice. One of the judges who had led that investigation, Claudie Gasson, died last year under mysterious circumstances. Another key witness in the Jean Dominique case was assassinated, you know, in Haiti after leaving Miami and, and going back to Haiti. So one has to wonder whether or not there will ever be any sort of resolution. And yes, this is the most high-profile journalist of, of, of our time. And, and he stands as a symbol of so much and of how even today, the freedom of the press is under fire, you know, in this country. Yeah, a symbol of, of, of lost hope. I mean, particularly he was an inspiration to so many, including several of these radio broadcasters who were murdered in Miami. So there's all of these strange echoes and parallels. It felt like in the early 1990s, this, this moment of, of hope and hope in democracy, that there was almost like a fight for the future of Haiti happening on the streets of Miami. Um, how did that fight resolve itself? And is it, is it ongoing or is that a battle of the past now? You also have to remember that the demographics of the people who were coming to South Florida were essentially, you know, Haitians who were from the north, or who lived from, you know, ruled areas. These were the the peasants, the farmers, um, not necessarily folks who, you know, were college educated, but they came and, and they succeeded, but they were still focused on Haiti, right? Their bags were still packed. Their dreams were to go back to Haiti and resume their lives. This is what they were, you know, they were they were waiting on. And then of course Aristide gets exiled in, in this in this military coup. But then the earthquake happened. And when the earthquake happened, we started to see a shift. And that shift was people were starting to give up on that 
idea, that dream that they were going to move back to Haiti. And all of a sudden, people were concerned about their local, you know, city council and the decisions. They, 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 they were increasingly becoming American citizens. This is a city where we elected the first Haitian-American in public office anywhere in the United States. And then their attentions were increasingly being focused on local issues because there had become so much disappointment, you know, in Haiti post, you know, 2010 earthquake. What we saw was the promises of the billions of dollars that the international community said they would give didn't materialize. And so in Haiti, we saw the long lines of Haitians who were trying to get to Chile and Brazil. And in South Florida, we basically saw a community that just sort of turned their back. I'll continue to support my family. I'll continue to send my remittances. But people were like literally unpacking their bags and boxes and gave up on this idea that I'm going to move back. We first met actually in Little Haiti. We went to the Dixie Express Driving School, which is actually where Fritz Dorr worked uh, as a paralegal and where his partner, uh, Donaldson Pleat, ran the driving school. And when we were there, the Dixie driving school was still there and there was a sign up and you could kind of make out the phone number and some of the marketing material from the early 90s. Since we've been reporting on the podcast, that, that building has now actually been sold and, and presumably will be torn down and, and redeveloped. And so if we'd even started this story a year later, that very important physical landmark might not exist anymore. And so, you know, hearing about how febrile the atmosphere on the streets was in Little Haiti in the early 90s and seeing it now with these shuttered storefronts, can you speak a little bit about what's happened to Little Haiti and, and what effect that may have on the community's kind of ability to pressure in terms of policy? The reality is, is that while Little Haiti was the first entry point for Haitians coming into South Florida, it is the community that today has been gentrified. It has changed. There are very few Haitians who are actually living in Little Haiti. And those who live in Little Haiti, you know, few of them actually own their property in Little Haiti. I mean, when Jean Juice was, you know, on the streets and, and was pressuring, it was it was about the fact that you had Haitian refugees in the United States who were being targeted for deportation. They did not have legal status. They were fighting for legal status. Everybody was in the same boat, so to speak. So it was very easy to, to rally people around that. Today, it's different. Today, you're dealing with a generation, a younger generation of American-born Haitians who don't know the struggle for immigration equity. They don't know the, the, the Haitian rights struggle. They don't know what it's like to be called names or to be targeted because you were, you, you, you were Haitian. I remember just recently, like last year or year before last, I went to a protest that was organized by Tony Gentenor. Veo, Veo used to be able to bring out, you know, tens of thousands of people on the streets. And they were just a few hundred, you know, and most of these were old guards. These are not, these are not necessarily like young people who um, were out, you know, who would be out and protesting for Black Lives Matter we're deciding, well, I'm going to go to this protest by this organization. So that's what I think what you're seeing is a community coming of age. You're seeing assimilation, but you're seeing also this ongoing struggle for identity and to hold on to that identity and asking itself, well, what should our next combat be? What should our next fight be? More after the break. 
Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ocean by H10 Hotels. And do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. When Dr. Sabah and I decided to do a skincare line together, he said to me, we are going to give women meaningful beauty. And I said, that's exactly right. We want to give women meaningful beauty, which means each and every product is meaningful. It has a, a reason to exist. It's efficacious. You're going to get results. And then you just go out and live your life. Meaningful beauty. Confidence is beautiful. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. For people who don't know anything about the assassination of President Jovenel Moise, can you briefly summarize what happened and what you've learned in your reporting? So on July 7th, 2021, um, Haiti President Jovenel Moise was at home in his private residence. He was at home with his wife and, and their two kids when um, a group of alleged assassins, um, Colombian mercenaries, came in and allegedly kill him. I say alleged because we are... There's been no trial. Just to take a step back, I mean, this was a period um, where Jovenel Moise was the target of increased anti-government protests. He was ruling by decree, meaning there was no functioning parliament. The lower chamber had been dismissed. There were only 10 senators in office. All of the mayors, local officials had been appointed by him even the police chief. He also came into office, you know, facing money laundering charges, questions about, you know, the elections. The, the, the first round actually was thrown out because of fraud. So he controlled every apparatus of the country and he was flexing his muscles. I mean, he passed an executive order to create sort of the equivalent of a Haitian CIA and people were up in arms, you know, about this. His critics were accusing him of trying to be Latin America and the Caribbean's next dictator. So after President Moise was killed, you actually went to Haiti to cover the assassination and you found a complex web of motives and actors that actually led all the way back to Miami. And in fact, you named the piece Made in Miami. Talk about that. We named this project Made in Miami because what became very clear early on when after I arrived in Haiti, actually the day of the event, was that there were a number of um, Haitian Americans with ties to South Florida who were implicated in this. Two of them were actually on the street outside of the president's house. Vincent Joseph and James Solage basically, you know, saying this is a DEA operation, DEA operation. It was not a DEA operation, but basically tried to use the cover of a U.S. federal agency um, in order to pull this off. 
one of the things that we did find out is that what was used as a motivating tool for the former Colombian soldiers who were allegedly involved in this is that they were told that there was $40 million plus million cash inside the president's house. So this turned into this sort of a weird money heist. The reason why the plan had switched from kidnapping the president to killing him was because there was pay dirt. They were going to get access to this cash and that they would be able to keep millions of dollars in this cash and then turn over some of it to the new team that was going to be governing Haiti in Moise's absence. Four of the suspects who were jailed in Haiti of the 40-plus who've been jailed were brought to the United States where they have been charged. It also includes a former Colombian military official who was allegedly co-leader of the the Colombian mercenaries um, who've been implicated in this, um, as well as the three Haitian Americans that I mentioned earlier. And two of whom are either current or former U.S. intelligence assets, right? One guy, Joseph Vincent, is a former DA informant. He was not at the time of the assassination. Rudolf Jar, who's also in the United States, at one point was an informant, you know, for the DEA. He's a convicted drug trafficker. Um, he has since just pled guilty in the assassination to avoid a trial and to see if he can get a deal. And then there is a third gentleman that we at the Miami Herald broke the story that at the time of the assassination, he was still an active FBI informant. At the time of the assassination of the president of Haiti, one of the assassins was an active FBI informant. Yes, but that does not mean that the FBI was aware or involved. As as a matter of fact, um, they have acknowledged in, in the charging documents that, yes, he was an FBI informant. And when they learned of his involvement, he was no longer this informant. And he did at some point try to engage the FBI in some sort of regime change discussion, which they did not engage in, but they by no way that this was sanctioned by them. And we have not seen any evidence to say that it was. You know, I know that there are people who believe that the United States knows everything and there's no way the president was killed and the U.S. was not aware that this was going to happen. Yeah, no, I I mean, I've, I've been on the story from from day one. I've We've done a lot of digging. We've talked to a lot of people. And there is absolutely nothing in, in, in my reporting or my colleagues who have other great sources elsewhere, people who don't necessarily need to protect any government agency. And we have not found any evidence that the United States had any involvement in this at all. I think that's one of the problems with impunity is that when you don't have real investigation to provide people with answers, you know, there's a lot of assumptions that are always, you know, that are always made. Right. And now the... Uh... The million dollar question. So, I mean, obviously in the early 90s, Aristide was such a figure of hope for people like Tony and Marlene and Fritz and, and Donna and Jean-Paul Olivier. Hope for a new Haiti, hope for a Haiti that people could return to, that, as you said, people literally had their boxes and suitcases packed. What happened to that hope and why, and why did it not work out? Oh, that is the million dollar question. Why didn't it work out? I think that, you know, 30 years in, in the life of a country is a short time, but it's a generation. And when you've got turmoil, it seems like it's forever. When you think about the fact that there are young people today in Haiti who don't know what a working democracy looks like. You know, they yearn for a period where they heard that, you know, there was electricity 24-7 and there were baseballs that were being made. Of course, they don't know the price of that 24-hour electricity in those baseballs. That was during the dictatorship. 
things were great and wonderful as long as you were not in politics. So, you know, I think with Haiti, when you look at what's happening today, you're saying, well, what happened in these last 30 some years? Haitians bear responsibility in some of it, but a lot of it also is, you know, international community and policies. There are specific policies and decisions that were taken by the United States and others that one could say, you know, help this country get to where it is today. And today, what you are seeing is a perfect storm of all that's wrong, a perfect storm of the billions of dollars that were put into a judiciary and and the system is still dysfunctional. So you have impunity, you know, money that was put into the rebuilding the police force, but they didn't take it to the next level in terms of how do you protect it from politicization? How do you put it sort of on automatic pilot that it grows itself rather than just crumble at the slightest, you know, attack on its fragility, which is what you're seeing. But if you talk to, you know, the average Haitian who is, you know, in danger of being raped or who has been raped because they've been kidnapped um, or they've been subjected to violence, they want the ability to be free. They want the ability to be secure, to, to be able to walk on the street. You know, I was just talking to a friend of mine just this week and he was telling me the story of a woman who had been kidnapped and held for 22 days and she was raped and beaten every one of those days. I mean, this is the reality that a lot of Haitians are having to to face. So they're not interested in the political debate or the sovereign debate. They just want help and they don't care where it's coming from. Yeah. I often say that, you know, when Haiti should be treated like a five-year-old, it gets treated like an 18-year-old. And when it gets treated like an 18-year-old, it should get treated like a five-year-old. What does that mean? Meaning that, you know, there are times where, look, this is the first Black Republic And it's a very proud history. And your average Haitian will like to think this is a sovereign country. But we can have a whole college course on what's the definition of sovereignty and how sovereign are you when you are dependent on others for for aid and for assistance. And when a foreign government is having to pay partly for your, your, your police, do you get to make your own decisions? So, you know, The people, the very people who are criticizing the United States for putting their hands on the scale are also the people that are asking the United States to put their hands on the scale and boot this guy and put me in. We can't have it both ways. And I think that that's what it's been. There's been a contradiction in the message. Your piece begins with this memorable phrase, in the heart of every Haitian lies a sleeping president. So I was curious about how those two things relate to each other. So you have your average Haitians, you know, your mothers on the streets or people who are living in the ghettos who know that they'll never be president because that's a world far away, you know, far away from me. You know, Haiti is a a very class-based society, right? So I'm not in that class. But for the people who are in that class, who either went to the schools or they walked the circles or they, you know, rub shoulders, elbows with people in, in politics. Yeah, every Haitian, you know, in the heart of every Haitian, it's a sleeping president. This idea that I can run this country, I'm going to take charge of this country, I can do this. I think that that's one of the biggest underestimations that people, you know, that people make and, and forget that there are people who are in the bureaucracy of this country who've been there for decades and are the real people who are running the show and that, you know, impunity reigns. And, and because impunity reigns, it's very difficult to get things done. It's very difficult to be a change agent and that people flock to those who are in power. Um, you started this conversation about impunity and actually why I keep coming back to it is because, you know, 
the chaos is because we don't have crime and punishment. There's a crime, but where is the punishment? And I think that that lack of a punishment in that concept is what allows the impunity to reign. How do you get the average Haitian to believe in this thing called democracy when it has failed them? One of the biggest questions in Haiti has always been, who represents whom? You know, the average Haitian, the people who are, you know, in the City Soleil, in the La Salines, who are in Bel Air, who are being subjected to the gang violence, they have no hope because, in, in the sense that these people are going to improve my life because they haven't seen it. I want to close with this, Jacqueline, because you mentioned at the beginning is when you first started in journalism when you were 14, you'll be looking at the chaos in Haiti, not not as a journalist, but as someone who might have a friend or a relative who, whose life was at risk. When you think about your readers and your listeners and your viewers, what is it both as, you know, both as a person and as a journalist you, you hope they take away from the full spectrum of your work? You know, um, I still have family in Haiti. In fact, all of my family on my mother's side remains in Haiti. And I often say that it's just one decision that is the difference between me and my cousins, why I'm here and why they're there. It was just one decision, one snap decision that my mother made. Because had she decided to give birth to me in Haiti or after having me outside of Haiti, sending me to Haiti to be raised by my grandparents or, or my aunts, I could very well be one of these individuals who is stuck in Haiti. My family's not from the elite. You know, I represent the, the, the group that goes to the U.S. Embassy and gets turned down for a visa. And my other reality is that I am a member of the Haitian diaspora. What I hope is that, okay, if there's one thing that I write that, that has the ability to, to make a difference, to, to have the policymakers think of another approach or another policy that will move the needle forward, then I think I've accomplished something. You know, for those who may look at Haiti and just think of it as, oh God, that country again, always in chaos. But if I can show you the the, the, the humanity in all of this and you can be moved and touched by it, then I think that I've, I've accomplished something. Incredibly well said and very moving. Jacqueline Charles, thank you. Thank you. That was a conversation with Jacqueline Charles, Caribbean correspondent for the Miami Herald. And that's where you can find her work. If you haven't already, go read her seminal article, Made in Miami, How a Miami Plot to Oust a President Led to a Murder in Haiti. It recently won the prestigious Overseas Press Award. If you've enjoyed this series, please share it with friends and family or leave a rating, which helps people find the show. But above all, thank you for listening. Silenced is a Kaleidoscope content original, produced by Margaret Katcher, Jen Kinney, and Padmini Ragunov. Research assistance from Sibylla Phipps, Jeremy Bigwood, and Kira Sinis. Edited by Lacey Roberts. Executive produced by Kate Osborne. Reported and hosted by Anna Arana and me, Osvaloshin. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka. Music by Oliver Rodigan, a.k.a. Cadenza. 
mix and sound design by Kyle Murdoch. Thanks to Mangesh Hatikada, Kostas Linus, and Vahini Shuri. Our executive producers at iHeart are Katrina Norvell and Nikki Itor. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, share, and subscribe to our channel. Thank you. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas, and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, Cheap Caribbean Vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive Budget Beach Finder or find a featured all-inclusive package to Generations Riviera Maya Resort and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com.